This episode of The Shakes is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use offer code SHAKESFAN. Our guest for this episode is Kevin Hoffman, digital strategist, information architect, user experience designer, and a guy who just really gives a big damn about meetings. Well, I didn't see that coming. From Kansas City, home of the biggest shuttlecocks you've ever seen, baby, it's the Shakes. I'm making up this can topic, we, so we, uh, we can we can define it however we really want. Really quick, can we pause on that? Can can uh, Kevin Jeremy's given me um, some quick background of how you guys know each other and and kind mm-hmm. of what you do? Can we here? Let's get just into start that? over. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> starting that, over. Yeah, Jeremy just like shot his wad right there, and Blurp. and uh, you know it's like we've Sorry. we've already already gone to the end of the show and we haven't even begun (laughs) sorry sorry yeah let's yeah let's back up kevin tell us all about yourself i went to school in pittsburgh uh and i studied i studied policy actually i studied public policy uh so i have a little bit of a background in statistical research which sort of led me into user experience in that i understand what the term statistically significant means however uh when i was in graduate school i was playing with computers at a time where it was very easy to parlay that into a job, so uh, which is the, the mid-90s. So um, very quickly got up on HTML, and, and eventually that was just a, a more profitable thing for me to do. Um, worked at uh, Webmaster at colleges and universities for a long time, and um, uh, then hired a company called HappyCog, which is uh, a really well-known and well-respected, deservedly so, design uh, agency that's located here in Philadelphia and uh, also in New York and Austin, Texas. And uh, I hired them to do some work for me. They invited me to come work for them. Had a wonderful uh, about four-year stint there and then decided to uh, seem like it was time to go out on my own. So that's what happened. How does policy equate to statistical analysis? Uh, in a perfect world, uh, a lot of policy decisions would be um, influenced by some level of data. Just like if you're designing gotcha. Amazon, they look at conversion rates. So, right. so this is how I look at statistics. Um, I studied music before I studied policy. Uh, I was studying uh, jazz performance. I hate jazz. I don't like listening to jazz. I find it like nauseatingly boring. However... When learning how to play jazz and how to improvise, um, people who understood the the theory of it and actually like the, the the mathematical aspect of it behind it, they could do far more interesting things with creative ideas because they 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 were able to say, well, I know this scale works with this chord progression, but I'm I'm going to break it. I'm going to do I'm going to not do that. Because I know why it works, so I know how to make it feel weird. Um, as opposed to people who play by feel, which is a different kind of sound, but to me, it's a less it's it's a less effective sound. I also started uh, college as a music education 
major and then kind of splintered off into other things. But the, um, you know, we're, we're both the same age. So the whole thing about the web, how did you kind of start fitting that in, in your, in, in your experience? Because I know for me, uh, once I kind of got into it and started playing with HTML books that I found at the bookstore or whatever, these were that was the thing that I really wanted to know and not all the stuff that I was learning in school. And so, you know, I certainly have have a, a poor GPA to show for all the tremendous skill <laughs> that I have now, but it was only because it was at a weird time that that type of knowledge was not available really to be taught in the school. So how did how did you uh, how did you kind of fit all that into in, into uh, into your brain the web yeah like, yeah at that, that time at that web. time yeah uh and i was studying public policy and uh working with community groups and in pittsburgh and uh there's a couple of areas in the in the in the city proper that are fairly uh you know they're 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 fairly down um some of them have come back a little bit um since i since i left but but uh, at that point, uh, personal computers weren't really personal. Um, you know, uh, if you were like a college kid like me, you know, your parents might have bought you, uh, you know, a big clunky Dell that you had. Um, but laptops were not common by any stretch. They were like luxury items. And uh, um, a lot of people just did not have computers in their homes. So. In uh, in certain neighborhoods in Pittsburgh, I was part of an initiative to get uh, the web, essentially, but specifically uh, a web application um, that would allow community groups to do searches on real property files to find out who owned vacated properties and to get them to do something about it. So um, that's how I learned how like you connect a website to a database and how I learned uh, how you write HTML and how you construct a form and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was like 95 when I was doing that. Still played in bands after I graduated from school and um, worked with some independent record labels on their websites and stuff and eventually just got web jobs over. What kind of music did you play in your bands? Stupid, loud and dumb music. <laughs> uh, very like... Uh, offensively misogynistic with uh, occasionally clever puns. Um, but uh, just kind of loud, dumb music uh, for fun. It was at our best. We would have like just a little hint of like the stooges or kind of uh, there's a band called the saints in the seventies yeah. that I really liked. Um, so, you know, at our best, we might kind of hit on that kind of stuff, but otherwise it was just stuff for, for dudes. Yeah, I, I was telling Pat that the first time I met you, you were rocking some some pretty serious kiss makeup, actually. Uh, that would be corpse makeup. Oh, ah. it will see because it was it was kind of like Beetlejuice meets you know Ace Freely, but okay, yeah. all right. Uh, so uh, that uh, that would be corpse paint, which is uh, like a Norwegian thing. It's a death metal thing, but but kiss kiss kind of came out of the whole like. I'm, I, it's just, this is not what I expected to talk about. But I'm, no, I'm, you know what? I, this is, this is never, probably better than we. <laughs> we never know what we're expected to talk about. That's right. So this is perfect. But Kiss came came out of kind of like they were trying to be sort of Japanese, but also sort of just kind of seventies, and uh, all of the all of that corpse paint stuff that comes out of like trying to artistically create the illusion of a dead person. So, Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't get that at, at all. 
Well, that's okay. You it's know, like, that's all right. Subtlety, I suppose. There is like, if you Google like Viking death metal or anything like that, you'll you'll find a whole bunch of guys with that same that same paint. And I actually ripped it off of a band called Turbo Negro that was uh, from Norway. That's still a, still around uh, in another form, and their singer had that exact face paint. So I was ah. I was paying tribute to uh, okay. To Hank. Okay. So, I got do you it. think there was anybody in the audience that totally got what you were going for? Yes, I know him. He was really nice. After <laughs> he came up and he said, "Hey, that's uh, that's Hank von Helvete's makeup." And I was like, "Thank You're you like, for knowing." You me. are my mate for life. Yeah. No, nice. you are why I I did this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you can connect with one person in the room, that, then it's you all know, worth it. It's funny when you say that. That's why I do anything. Yeah. Like I had this really interesting experience last night. So my wife uh, is in this business and she was speaking at a panel last night at a local UX event. And um, I just went to, to see her speak and to listen to some of the other people on the panel. Uh, the, the head of UX for Urban Outfitters was there on the panel. And uh, the, John Ferrara from Vanguard, he wrote a book for Rosenfeld uh, about game design. And, uh, you know, I just went to check it out. And I was talking to, to one of the managers at Vanguard, and he was like, you know what? That article you wrote last month um, for for UIE, like, now that's our standard practice. And that blew me away because that's I was awesome. like, I was like, that means one person took it seriously yeah. and made a change. And maybe that change will stick. Maybe it won't. But, yeah. but like, that's what makes me feel really good. And when I speak, I try to keep that in mind because I am a really nervous speaker, Um I get really uncomfortable. I get kind of sick uh, when I speak, but I do a lot of it because I hope that, you know, people will make positive change or make some kind of change. Where are we in your schedule? Uh, we, we, we have, we, we are really nowhere. haven't even started. I don't, I don't even, I don't even know that the topic one, I mean, it was just, it was an idea. Well, no, I actually, the, the first topic I think is interesting. It, um, it reminded me a lot of, uh, when I saw it, I was like, I thought you were talking about Paul Adams stuff. Have you seen uh, the book Grouped? No, no. Uh, so, I'm, I might be. This might be an idea that's already been, uh, you know, pretty at least from the angle that I'm looking at it. So tell tell me about that. Grouped. Uh, Paul Paul Adams is uh, he was at Google and then he he went to Facebook. I think he's at um, Intercom, according to his bio right now. But uh, he was the head of advertising at Facebook, and he was kind of behind the design of the, the experience of ads, Facebook ads, which is a huge, huge business model, obviously. And um, a lot of it was built around understanding the fabric of social relationships. And um, he put out a book about that called Grouped, in which he tried to boil down the, the, the cognitive science and the social science around how people form networks and what those networks mean and in that book, there's some, there's some concentric search circle metaphor. Um, I don't remember the names of all the the, the groups, and I, I I think I loaned my book to somebody. Otherwise, I would grab it and, and look. Um, oh, okay. So I'm looking at a presentation of his right now. But like, people have you know different kinds of relationships. As I read his presentation to you, and um, there are overlaps in those groups, but there are certain numbers that you can start to to you can measure influence across a certain number of people. So like the, the circles are like strong ties, weak ties and temporary ties. Mm -hmm. And then the number at which 
you can't really have any more influence is 150 people. So if you have 150 people in okay. various in various networks, yeah. um, you're not going to be able to, to measure influence uh, from, uh, from the first to the 151st person or something like that. Right. Okay. I'm familiar with this. Yes. Okay. I, yeah. I, okay. It's a law. I can't remember the name of it. It's like somebody's law or yeah. something like but you know that that idea of the circles with the overlap and how you measure influence between different groups it kind of relates to what i thought you were asking about which is you know in your own creative process at what point do you make your ideas at what point are you comfortable enough with your ideas to make them vulnerable to different levels of influence yeah 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 exactly and and uh you know as we as you're kind of mentioning that and also as i'm looking at this again uh the you know the thought or at least the initial thought when it comes to r- relationships it's like you start on that outside on that public and move in to the personal and the intimate but but it's almost like you know creative ideas they they're the reverse they start the other way <clears throat> yeah and so yeah it's like and and how and how do so okay let's let's try let's try to mash all of this up let's take let's take that let's take that grouped idea and then it's also take that idea about uh, you know doing something that that really matters a lot to 50 people as opposed to trying to reach 500 people is how do you how do you uh gauge where you want to you know obviously everybody everybody wants that viral video or they you know they want that the idea that they've got to catch like wildfire but it's it's kind of you know how What's what's a, what's a good gauge of success when you're trying to think of something? That's an interesting idea. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, I think about like the the recent, um, and I'm sure there's probably something more recent uh, than that. Um, but I, I, you know, think about the uh, Chipotle video, um, and you know, and how how big that was. Which one? Uh, the Scarecrow. Oh, okay. Um, but then, you know, I, I, um, you know, but then, I, I mean, the big thing that I'm, um, and I don't think, I don't think brands do this enough, um, is, is, you know, really get, you know, brand champions, you know, try and build brand champions. And that is, you know, 50 to a hundred people that you feed on a regular basis and you know that they are cheerleaders and you, you know, you use them to, you know that they're loyal um, and you use them to build a, you know, a great point. And I've probably already talked about this, but, you know, um, uh, Southwest, I, I will forever be a Southwest fan because I was before, but I'm I'm even more so after this. Um, we had a flight uh, to uh, my family and I go to Disney World every year and, and we had a flight to, um, you know, Orlando and there was an older gentleman on the plane who was on some kind of painkiller that when we hit a certain altitude, he passed out and it's the first time. And it's not the last time, unfortunately that I've actually heard the, the flight attendant, you know, say, is there a doctor on the plane? And, and fortunately there were several, but, um, um, you know, they got him kind of too. And then, we hit the altitude again and then he was passed out. So we had to do emergency landing in Jacksonville. And, um, you know, they, I mean, Southwest was great during the whole time. And, and then on the flight back, you know, we had stayed at, uh, at Disney world for about a week. And on the flight back, we sat on the tarmac for like 45 minutes. And it was actually the first time my, 
my daughter, because of sensory and attachment stuff, she was a nightmare on planes. I mean, she just had this kind of moment where it became too much for her and she would just completely freak out. And it was mm-hmm. screaming and and um, and this was the actual this was the first flight that we had ever been on where she actually fell asleep. And so I was totally fine with the 45 minutes on the tarmac because she had fallen asleep. And so like two days later, I got a call from Southwest and said, you know, hey, we want to check in on your flight. We understand you were on the tarmac for 45 minutes. We apologize for that. And I said, you know, hey, it was it was it was fine. And I said, you know, I actually I thought you were calling about our flight out there. And I explained the whole thing to him and um, and. You know, said how good they were, and and I said, you know, I understand the sensitivity. On the other hand, I had two young kids that were ready to get to Disney World, so I appreciated the efficiency at which you did it. And um, and you know, about two months later, I received a um, a letter, you know, big fat envelope uh, from Southwest, and it was an inter office um, letter that was from, um, and now I can't think of the CEO's name. Kelly or uh, I don't know. Um, Insert CEO name here. Yeah. And he had sent this inner office email um, explaining the phone call that I had and said, you know, as long as people like Pat Piper are happy to fly our airlines, you know, I will be as well. And then there was a $250 voucher in there. And I was like, I, you know, so that, that kind of goes back to the one person and I will forever tell wonderful stories. And, and I've retold that story you know, 50, 60 times now to, you know, whoever to, you know, individuals and gobs of people at the same time. And, and, and that's, you know, I mean, I am a, I'm a brand champion for them. And I think those are so much more valuable than the, the people who will see the, you know, scarecrow video and go, that's cool. And then post it and say, Oh, this is really cool. But then, you know, not go to Chipotle, but, you know. Yeah, there's not a lot of value in Once every three months, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's the nature of the conversation. It's not awareness. Like, awareness is only the first step in a longer, uh, in in a relationship. And your goal is to convert those, you know, that small number of people. Because, you know, and this is getting back to Paul Adams. But, you know, there's always going to be, like, people have circles of influence. And if you have a core group of people with, with influence. If your goal is to grow your brand, that's how you're going to do it. It's not going to be, it's not going to be like the rock star way where all of a sudden there's a, a breakthrough hit and everybody knows who you are. Um, cause nobody knew who Chipotle was before, um, before that video, they were going to, they were like, nobody, I don't think ever had a burrito before, but, uh, <laughs> first time ever. Well, and, and, and so, yeah, so what what's I mean what's interesting is it's kind of the anti um social uh approach which is you know it's all about exposure and views um and pass alongs which really you know doesn't necessarily mean shit, you know. It's like it's good to talk about um and it makes people feel good, but at the end of the day if you're not if you're not turning those people into brand champions, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting, um, especially with in the startup space, and I'm not in the startup space. I don't do I, I don't know that I ever do anything with startups, but um, occasionally I, I I come across it or I'm in one, and uh, 
that that whole idea of trying to kind of get the name out there very quickly, like um, there was a really cool video guy. Uh, he goes by Lonely Sandwich. I can't remember his name. Adam Lizagore. Yeah, Adam would do uh, these fantastic like product introduction videos. Um, and he's done them for, you know, places like RDO that are doing really well. Um, but he's done dozens, I would imagine, or at least a dozen for a lot of companies that like looked really cool, but you know, then just didn't really stick around. And I think yeah. it's because of that relationship piece, um, you know, uh, that, uh, that they, they were able to, to develop. Let's take a quick break here and uh, thank our sponsor for this episode, Squarespace. 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 Very nice. Uh, Squarespace, of course, is the uh, all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. And in the last episode, I talked about how I've moved my my blog and everything over to Squarespace and it's it's a it's it's an incredibly easy to use platform it's an incredibly easy to use publishing platform is what i should say uh and uh, it it's it's great it's got mobile and responsive templates built into the whole thing great analytics we were talking about research analytics and getting that information so you can find out uh, you know, right, right there in the dashboard. But you can also get stuff in Google Analytics. You can find out anything that you need to do. Uh, e-commerce is another feature of it. You can get stuff set up. And since we have some uh, glasses left over from the uh, <laughs> from the party and some stickers that uh, showed up a week late, uh, I, I need to I need to get those set up and 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 get rid of my excess inventory. <laughs> I should say that uh, my son Gabe was wearing a square. Squarespace uh, t-shirt there today. You go. Oh, yeah. And I also good. I also have about 150 of those in my garage. So uh, so but it is it is a fantastic uh, it is a fantastic system. I love it. I think you'll love it, too. You can start a trial with Squarespace with no credit card required. Most of them, they will have you put in a credit card right off the beginning, but not them. You can just sign up. Get started right away at that very second for 14 days without putting any credit card information in. Yeah, so, you know, you can find out whether it's good. Uh, when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, and we think you will, make sure to use the offer code SHAKESFAN, SHAKESFAN, all one word, to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for us sad, lonely schlubs. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website. Do you have a rule of thumb on number of people in a meeting like this many people, it's unproductive, above this number, it's really productive under this number or anything? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah I do. Um, so I'm starting a new company. Um, it's already started, but I haven't launched it yet. But the name of the company is it's named after that number, which is um, uh, roughly seven is the point at which you need to scale. So, like, let's say you have a meeting, and there are seven people, and then you get an eighth person in the room, you're going to be better off breaking into two groups of four and then coming back together than you'll be trying to have an eight-person conversation, or a ten-person conversation, or a fifty-person conversation. Interesting. Um, there, and it has to do with how many complex ideas you can keep in your head at the same time, and how many things you can follow at once. Like, um... My favorite story about like conversation and meetings and agreement 
is um, so Adaptive Path. Uh, when they were founded, it was seven people. Like seven people founded Adaptive Path, which is unusual. Like most companies are founded by a person or two people, but they were founded by seven people. And um, I was talking to uh, Peter Merholz, and he was like, "Yeah, it was so cool because we were all like, you know, seven people at the top of our game, and." you know, doing all this great work, but man, if we had to buy a printer, it was like the longest fucking meeting because <laughs> you have to draw like seven points of agreement, which is not seven lines. It's like, I don't know, 20 something. Um, so like, you know, there, there is a point at which you have to scale out into smaller groups and, and seven is that number, which is where the name of my company comes from. So should we talk about, uh, what's the appropriate number of briefs in a kickoff? The appropriate oh, number you're of briefs. getting multiple briefs in a kickoff. Yeah, just just curious if that happens. That's fun. To wait, wait. anyone else. What do you mean the appropriate number of briefs? What do you mean? <laughs> well, I, I suppose that, that question yeah, I, does <laughs> bear some explaining. Uh, I think the better question is is yeah, why are there numbers of right? Yeah, uh, this is a new thing for me, but uh, I was just recently briefed on. Uh, a new round of television and received six briefs. Sir, what for? How for? How many spots? Uh six. Wow, a brief per spot. Yes. Wow. With uh, some differences, though not many. So I, I apologize because I don't know exactly. Are you talking about like writing for television? Is that the industry? Yeah. Well. Yeah. So it's advertising, right? So like. Okay. In a in a project kickoff, I mean, I think the same holds true, right? So it's like there's the magical number for meetings. I'm sorry. Is this what we were talking about? Am I completely coming out of left field with this? No, okay. no, no I wasn't familiar with the, the concept. Like in, in, in like the design work that I do, I'm usually designing a website or an application. And usually there's only one brief because the brief is the brief for the thing. So multiple briefs. I was like, "That's kind of that's kind of how it usually works." Well, for and and everything. yeah, and and to be to be clear, Kevin, in in her context, it really should be one brief as well. But somehow she's getting six. So cool. Yeah, I mean, I just thought I'd bring it up. You know, well, see no, if I mean, that's interesting. There. I mean, I'm all for more information, but I not in a context like a meeting is a context that you can use as a tool, and it's not a good tool for reading. Right. Um, as a writer, I sort of have, you know, honed my ability to read stuff and uh, no longer require it to be read to me, which is sort of what happens in meetings. And I feel like a briefing is like I should be taking notes because somehow somebody in that meeting is providing me with valuable information or we're having this interesting conversation about what we're going to go do. Yeah, based that is on deeper we, than know, the one pager that you have. Yeah, yeah. I mean. But you can't you can't retain it in that in that delivery. Like if if you look at how your brain works, like how you retain stuff, if you're only listening, if you close your eyes and somebody is just reading a brief to you, you're not gonna be able to retain everything in the same way that you would if you built it together or you you broke it or you you know, whatever, like in, in a yeah, collaborative. I mean, it's hard enough to just conversate like right now listening and retaining information <laughs> so so kevin i i let me um this is something that i i had i, I thought it was really interesting 
It's based on our um, Myers Briggs, um, uh, you know, findings, and we do this thing. Uh, and I, I'd never done it in the whole time except for when I was at Hallmark. We did this kind of Z test, which is you you based on Myers Briggs findings. Are you playing cup and ball, uh, Quinn, or something? She's practicing for yeah, one of those cups. No, but my dog is chewing a bone. Hold oh, on, that oh, no, no, that's that's fine. Okay. That's fine. Um, but it's the only way he's not barking. The shit yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Um, and um, um, so based on you know where everybody's personality fell, they said okay, hypothetically, hypothetically, we're in an hour long meeting, and you've just been downloaded on something, and then what they do is they go through the minutes of the meeting, and they say okay, these people they hang out in this area for this percentage of the meeting where they are processing the information and then, you know, um, and they are given this certain amount of time. Others quickly move on to the, the next step, which is I'm already starting to brainstorm. I'm starting to brainstorm. I'm starting to brainstorm. And then the third one is, is that you're thinking about, um, kind of, uh, in, in th- these are negative words and not meant to be, but consequences, repercussions, how does this affect, people and everything. And then finally, finally the, okay, I'm ready to go kind of situation. And it was really interesting because, you know, all of the, you know, there were a lot of people that spent a lot of time in, you know, okay, I'm processing, I'm processing, I'm taking it all in. And I'm one of the ones that quickly says, okay, I got it. And then I spend most of my time in the brainstorming. I love to let an idea kind of rattle around in my head. And a lot of the times I'm probably jumping the gun on something, thinking that I have the information and I don't necessarily have all the information. And they talked about the conflicts that happen within that meeting between those kind of two different personalities, which is the people who are processing a lot think that the people who have already jumped the gun saying you're, you're not getting enough information. You're already brainstorming. You don't know all the stuff you need to do. And the people who are in the brainstorming are looking back at the processors saying, okay, come along, move along, move along. Let's get through this. And it was just, it was, it was a really interesting kind of dynamic as far as personalities go that I had never really, thought about before I'm, you know, and keep in mind, we work in an emotional company. So emotions and personalities really weigh into how we kind of get information and how we process information. The phases that you described of processing, brainstorming, uh, consequences and, and, uh, uh, you know, like those, I think those phases are things that you have to move through in a meeting. Um, I am not an expert nor a subscriber to like psychological profile based facilitation, which is to say, let's engineer a situation to work better for you. Yeah. yeah. I, I am you, a you fan of yeah. designing experiences that allow for people to find their own way. Yep. Um, and if you box it all out like that, like my fear is that like people will fall into the pitfall. They'll fall into the trap of like, well, I think I'm like this, so I'm just going to do what I think I am and not make that step into those different things. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. 
That's yeah, because 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 they took a quiz online once and they found out that they were that, and so then yeah, they make those assumptions about themselves when they may not yeah. even be right. It, it, it's pretty cliched how I fit my my personality test to a T. I mean, it's not anything. It was one of those things where I've been living this life, and I go, "Yep, you know what? That's exactly how I and I fit perfectly into this box." And I don't find myself kind of following the parameters of that box. It's just kind of, it's, it's how I do things, you know? Yeah. And I don't mean to say like Quinn's uh, hiding a body. Quinn's yeah. Quinn's moving in currently unpacking boxes or sorry. The husband just came home. We have like 700 (laughs) square feet to deal with. I'm doing the best I can. (laughs) Talk amongst yourselves while I pour some wine. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. I think all I was going to say was that, um, I, I'm not like with regards to personality tests. It's just not something that's made its way into my brain as a tool. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I feel like they're interesting and they can validate you know good things. And there's mm-hmm. probably value in there. I just haven't figured it out. Yeah. It's too it's too hard for me. Um, I am dumb. Uh, no, no, it's just it's it's an. What do you mean dumb? You're the statistics guy. Yeah, it's an interesting. <laughs> oh no, I don't think there's anything smart about statistics or math. That's that's like. In, input output stuff. You put the numbers in, they come out. And it's yeah, not, yeah, you got to know how to do that, though. It's just yeah. a, it's a, it's an interesting thing because for the first time in my career, I mean, mostly in advertising, you're dealing with kind of more extroverts and stuff. And the first time in my career, I'm dealing with a handful of introverts, um, which I, I've never really dealt with before. And it's kind of interesting to find out. Um, your tendencies and then their tendencies and how those two either meet or completely clash, you know, and, and the best example was, um, you know, I process out loud. So I'm, I'm constantly talking, constantly talking and an introvert. Yeah. Introvert is spending time. Okay. Processing, processing. So I need stuff, you know, I, I'm kind of real time and stuff. I'm like, okay, let's, you know, let's do this. What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? And the introvert is processing, processing. And every time I make that request, they kind of reprocess things. So there's a natural frustration that happens there where you think the, the extrovert doesn't think that the introvert is really, uh, you know, listening to them and paying attention, and when really what they're doing is they're processing. It, it was just, it was it was kind of an interesting kind of aha moment for me. Yeah, and, you know, and the thing that you brought up, which I think is really important, is that you're managing people, and this creates a lot of value in the management process. But I think organizationally, there's a little bit of confusion around the role of managing people and the role of running a, a discussion. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think those are. I don't think They're those completely are completely separate things. Yeah, and I think that the the, the the running a discussion or running a meeting, that skill is something that you can learn and it, it can be applied via a designed experience that can be that can accommodate all personality types. But managing people. It's, in my opinion, uh, in my limited management experience, it's been tremendously valued to think, valuable to think about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so are we to assume that the uh, book that you're attempting to give birth to is a way to uh, is a is a way to describe or a book about those designed experiences? Yeah, yeah. Okay. How you design better meetings, frameworks. Oh, very good. Design. Okay. So, so without 
And maybe um, you can't answer this because you don't want to give away what your book's about. But no, information is not. I'm not. I'm what, not a hoarder. What is um, what um, you know? Top one, top three, kind of uh, uh, pitfalls that uh, people fall into when trying to run an effective meeting or brainstorm or. So I'll talk about one. Uh, okay. One that is the easy, an easy one to get and an easy one to apply is the, the concept of divergence and convergence. Um, every productive conversation has a, a pattern, uh, and it's a pattern of divergence and convergence, meaning that there's going to be time devoted towards increasing the quantity of ideas, and then there's time devoted towards decreasing that quantity, and it happens in that sequence. If it doesn't happen in that sequence, it tends to derail meetings. So if you begin a meeting with prioritization, um, you know, people will check out, they'll, they'll get, they'll, they'll feel they're not important. They won't, you know, wallflowers will tune out. Um, and people who are aggressive will get defensive. Um, if you leave a meeting without converging at all or prioritizing or eliminating options or whatever, people feel those are all the meetings that people think are a waste of time. Um, those, those are those meetings where people are like, oh my God, you know, these meetings go on forever. It's because there's no convergence. There's no decisions. Yeah. We don't know what um, to do next. It's yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And if you take that pattern or that kind of, um, if you make two, if you take your hands and you make two peace signs and then you put all of your fingers together. So you create kind of like a dual V where it's getting bigger and then it's getting smaller. Um, you know, or like a diamond on its side, that pattern you can apply to any conversation or any meeting and it will go better. It will work better for everyone involved. Um, you know, you could have a five minute session where you brainstorm and then you make a decision or you can have an eight hour meeting where you're doing that over and over, diverging, converging, but that sequence and, and, and recognizing that they have to happen for people to listen. Um, like if people don't feel like they can contribute, in that in that divergence process, they they won't listen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you just that's just a human need, I guess. Um, so all right, yeah. So that's one. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, it's not a function of like the amount of time or or like you have to do each for a certain like time or a certain number of ideas. It's really just a function of having somebody whose job it is to recognize that pattern and to and to make sure it's accommodated. So somebody who is facilitating that meeting saying, okay, I feel like we've reached a point where we've sufficiently diverged. So let's, let's, let's turn the corner and, and, and sometimes it takes a while and sometimes it's quick. I, I, well, you know, it's, I, it's, it's, it's jazz again, Kevin. It's a, you know, you, you know, you know the parts and you know the patterns, but it's yeah. it, but it, in the end, there's that intuition that you, you feel it and you know, and you know when to jump in with that. And so it's, it's jazz and it's organic. Yeah. Like, um, I, I loved uh, the movie Sound City. Have you guys seen that movie? No, I haven't. No. Oh, he really? I yeah, you stumped you. me. You stumped okay. the chump. Yeah. So, so Sound City is a, a documentary that Dave Grohl directed from the. Foo oh Fighters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I, and I. I'm not a big Foo Fighters fan. I, I, I liked. Um, I like everything that Dave Grohl does that isn't the Foo Fighters. I don't dislike the Foo Fighters, but anyway. Um, uh, he directed a documentary about this this recording studio called Sound City, which is this. It was this LA studio that 
they recorded like so many huge albums and it was a dump. It was like this terrible, like unsafe, probably uh, disease ridden facility, but they had a couple of things going for them. Um, they had character, which is nice. They had this incredibly engineered piece of technology uh, that converted, you know, um, sound into, into analog signals using a particular um, engineer that built it. Uh, and that was kind of the sound that you would get recording there. Um, but they also really recognized that a lot of the best music comes from the organic collaboration of people. Um, and that collaboration takes as long as it takes, and it takes whatever form it takes based on who those people are. So you can't, like, template it out. All these albums were recorded there, but every session was completely different. And and in making the documentary, what I took from that is that, like, what I really love about facilitation as a practice and doing it as a designer, thinking about meetings as a designer, is, like, you're kind of the producer. You're like, okay, these are the people I have to work with. These are their skills. These are, these are where they excel. How can I make everybody in this room rock at their peak rockingness for the amount of time that we have? Um, I feel like that's the job of the producer in a, in, in a recording session. And if you're not playing live music as a band or as a group, then it becomes more of a clinical surgery thing where it's like, how do I take this and cut it so that it fits with this? As opposed to really getting people to communicate uh, musically, or in the case of a meeting, to communicate with ideas. Wow. How do you create that framework and that environment that, that makes that happen? I think designing that is really hard. And uh, that's why I try to think about it and talk about it and write about it. I think that's fantastic. And I, I think that that's probably why you're the only person in the world that does that, because I know that I've never been into a meeting that <laughs> that has, you know, and that's, and that's a, and that's a terrible thing. And I'm, I'm glad that you're a, uh, writing this book that uh you know it's very kind of you to say there are a lot smarter people than than me that have written cool books about beatings but i i feel like i you know i want to say something that has some positive effect hopefully for one person or more but well, I hope hopefully you'll have a positive effect for me because I know that you know I'll read it and I'll pass it on. So, Kevin, uh, any uh, anything that we can? I feel like this is you know your chance to like pimp a movie or something like that. Any any uh, comedy places we're going to see you at here in the you know near future? Uh, uh, I'm like that. speaking at an event apart next year. Um, I'm speaking at uh, oh, what am I trying to? What do I have going on? Uh, I'm going to be at confab.edu uh, or confab.edu in Atlanta next week. I'm not speaking. I'm just going to be hanging out. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to sell, really. You know, Hire me if you think I'd be fun to work with. I, I, I do all kinds of design strategy work. I have a great network of people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch my company in hopefully January um, formally, and that'll be it. If it was, if it, if it was, if it was then – if this was January, I would be like, I would be like, check out blah, 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 but it's not out yet. All right. Okay. Well, it was good uh, talking to you about all all of this. And, and, and you know what? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe come January we can, uh, because I, I've got, uh, I've got something else that, uh, that I want to talk to you about here in the, in the, in the near future. So, so that might be oh, okay. good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to, to get together anytime and. Okay. Just say hello. Okay, sounds good. Well, thank you. Right. Guys, this has been Kevin Hoffman. Thank you, Kevin. Nice Thanks, to meet Kevin. you. We'd like to thank Joel Gerhold, who gave $5 Beer Buddy support on Tugboat. 
If you'd like to support the production of this show with a few dollars, visit tugboatyards.com slash the shakes. This show is produced by cocktailnapkinstudios.com and is a proud member of Mule Radio Syndicate. If you like our show, there are plenty others on Mule Radio Syndicate that we think you'll enjoy, such as Issues with Ed Casey and Mike Essel. Mike and Ed talk about their issues and comics, but mostly comic issues. We invite you to give them a try. And thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.